0: Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. And this is Uncommon Deeds. (laughs) Welcome everybody to another episode of Uncommon Deeds. And Justin, we are really having some fun, and today's guest brought some real fun energy.
1: Yeah, it was good. Uh, it was good, and it was in a weird setting, um, which was also good. We got some, we got some fun stories. Uh, Nick is a character, and there's. I think everybody thinks of him as the guy who went in the milk bowl and stuff, but you and I and, and all of our media buddies over the years have always had so much fun with him on Pit Road bleeping the F bombs out of the stories and out of the interviews. And he's always interrupting himself cause he's knocked his beer over or something like that. And uh, that's just, you know, we got, I think fans are, are who don't know Nick that well are really going to see who he is right now in, in this show.
0: And when you say knocking the beer over, we're not talking about on pit lane while getting ready to race.
1: No, directly after the race. I mean, immediately. after. The race. So stuff.
0: for everyone listening right now, I know that you're fully enjoying just how gorgeous Justin sounds right now.
2: Oh, Because we
0: have figured oh, out God. an audio issue we had. Now, unfortunately... For f- for five weeks, yeah. Unfortunately, we are recording this open post having talked to Nick. Yeah. So Justin still sounds a little tinny, a little... Talking like to I'm, you from
1: his bathroom. Like I'm in the bathroom, yeah.
0: But knock on wood, after a few weeks, we have figured out we the issue. It. And hopefully going forward, it'll make everything sound even better.
1: Did we talk about the camera issue on the show?
0: I don't think we did.
1: So we record this over Zoom. So Tom and I can see each other. and We can usually see our guests, too, um, while we're recording. But we're having this feedback issue. We keep talking about Ricky St. Clair, but we had Ricky do two like hour long tests with us trying to figure out this, this feedback issue and the first in the first, first couple episodes. Yeah.
0: Went great. It did. And then we recorded our first two guests and it went splendidly. Yep. And then we got together to record just our opens and we kept getting
1: this. Oh, it was terrible. Just we had, like, awful. Like we'd go for two minutes and then it'd go and and just anytime die. Justin talked and every time that I talked and it was only when Justin talked we could not you know what our out. our our trailer episode it did that we recorded that stupid trailer episode like 20 damn times yep and we couldn't figure it out but then it started going fine once we had guests well it turns out yeah our wives know way more about this stuff than we do and they're not even involved yeah we did. 2 hour test
0: Ugh. with Ricky horrific just trying to figure it out and it kept coming and going and we, there was no there was no solution no and then my wife just happened to say like oh do you use that camera that i got you or we got for cheap on amazon or something when you're doing your interviews cuz she knew we were having issues I'm like no well, yeah, I only use it for the interviews. And then, like, it clicked. I'm like, whoa. So anytime we've had interference, it's just been Justin and I, for the most part.
1: Recording or that time with
0: Ricky. And- yeah, And I just used the built-in camera because I don't need to look special for Justin. Oh, wait a minute. And I, I'm glad she said it because I was at the point and I had messaged Justin.
1: We were going to cancel the, the show. O-
0: <laughs> no, I said, the only <laughs> thing I can think of is that whenever we have guests, I wear a hat. <laughs> <laughs> and I was saying it, you know, in jest, knowing yeah. probably not the issue. But out of nowhere, the wife use a camera, and I said, like, oh. So we put in the – we did one more test. where We put plugged in the nicer camera, and it completely went away. And no. I talked to the company that owns my fancy mixer – and they couldn't really tell me anything no, no one could figure it out and it's I, some I spent kind an of hour
1: i spent an hour on on zoom help chat
0: yeah and <laughs> randomly somehow we were getting interference between the built-in camera on my mac
1: which has no audio yeah the nope. cameras don't have anything to do yeah. with
0: the audio but that is the issue and then we had a good couple weeks and then <laughs> Justin started sounding real tinny. I think I sent him like like, you're sure that your microphone is what's working. Yeah, yeah. And we did it again the other day, and it sounded... And the problem is, it sounds okay when we're just talking to each other. And then you go to listen back, and it's a little bit more... It's real bad. Yeah.
1: Like I'm in a tunnel.
0: And then, uh, setting up today to record... Are open. Justin realized it had not been going to his fancy oh, no. microphone that he had purchased. It was doing his built-in microphone.
1: And but like now my my headphones go through this micro through this fancy microphone. So it just, we were both like, "Yeah, it can't be that, right?" And then Tom was like, "Ah, oh, you gotta check it." And then we did we forgot about it. Yeah, didn't didn't check it because it
0: sounded it. okay during yeah. our
1: test. Before we talk
0: to Nick, and then you start listening, and God, I kept telling him to turn his mic down, and he's turning it down on his microphone, like but it's not right. really going down. No, but we got it figured out. God, so damn. bear with us through this episode, <laughs> and hopefully, moving forward, we'll have some nice, some nice audio for you. Speaking of going forward, we have a lot of. People interested and in names lined up yep. for us to get to. Yep. And I know some of them we get every week on Monday. when Bobby we Dragon did, ask Bobby
1: Dragon did, yeah. Yep.
0: When we ask who you think the week's yes going to be. Yep. And so you know, for the many people who keep saying Dave Dion and Bobby Dragon, we are hoping to talk to them in the near future. Yep. But
1: only for like 10 minutes each. That's all we're going to do. Yeah. Uh,
0: so that is hopefully coming, like I said, in the near future. But we had mentioned in a previous podcast, and we want to reiterate, we want to make our podcast as inclusive as we can and in, yeah. as diverse as we can, not just with racers in – Stock car racing as you see it, you know. Yeah. Yes, we want to get as many different, you know, Tracy was great. We want to have more females who are involved in the sport in different ways. And we'd love to have more in people of color to share their journey. But we also want to be diverse in the motor sports different that we talk about.
1: Yeah, yeah you know, we haven't had a dirt racer on yet. Um, we haven't had a a snowmobile racer on yet. We haven't had a drag racer on yet. We haven't had rally drivers on yet.
0: And And those are all
1: things that we'd like. Yeah. You know, uh, here's a guy that we've never talked about. Uh, but Jimmy Hyder would be amazing. Do you know, Jimmy? I've heard that guy. (laughs) Yes. That guy would be great. Um, and he's probably going to hear this. Um, but I mean, he he he's got a midget car, and he's got he's raced power boats, and he's got a a couple of dirt bikes and stuff, and he goes up Pikes Peak and breaks thirteen bones a year, and uh, that's the kind of guy that we need to talk to. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, of course we want Dave Dion, and of course we want Bobby Dragon. They're freaking legends. Um, but we do want to mix it up a little bit, get out of our comfort zone. Um, we you know. Dwight Jarvis is high on our list and that's a guy that you've probably seen him race two or three times. I've probably only ever seen him race. I don't know, 10, 12 times at the most, but he's a Vermonter. Um, and he's like one of the most, absolutely most successful Vermonters that's ever been in a race car. Um, pavement modifieds aren't where you and I grew up. Um, but we need to know more about that. So yeah, of course we Mm -hmm. want to diversify. And, um, Get get out of our comfort zone, and we
0: want to enjoy learning as much as maybe you guys are. Some of these guests we're talking to, like a Nick Sweet, who you've known for you know twenty uh, yeah, years. Since we were teenagers, yeah. You know a lot about already, and it's just as fun for us. Like, hey, let's talk to someone that we neither of us know. Wow, well, we didn't try really to do Tracy a, Belrose. yeah. Do a little yeah. research just to give us the ground base and then see where it goes and see what we can learn. Yeah. And we're giving you this extra heads up because hopefully we're going to have one very soon and we want you to give it a chance. Even if you're thinking like, oh, that's not that doesn't really appeal to me, I think some of the stories and the yeah. journeys that these people have had are going to be worth the listen, even if it's not in your box.
1: I think there's so many similarities, even if they're not in any way similar um, with the product, Um, you know, the the same path that Nick sweet would have taken from a street stock to a tiger, to a late model um, that some of these people will have taken, but the struggle I think you'll identify with and the, upbringing and the you know the hometowns and and stuff like that i think that's all very much similar and and will be you know identifiable um that's 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 what this podcast is about anyway i mean we don't need to tell you that nick sweet won three milk bowls you've seen it you know that's all very recent um we don't need to tell you that tracy Belrose went out of the parking lot you were there you saw it um but but it's the journey yeah exactly exactly it's you know
0: it's Keith Fortier getting Nick Sweet home, going 10 miles an hour after a party at Justin Hart's. Those it's, are the emotional journeys we want to take you on.
1: It's us pulling Nick out of the tire barriers in a go-kart track in Montreal while we're all half in the bag. You know, I mean, that's – and you'll hear about it.
0: <laughs> and without further ado,
1: <laughs>
0: it's time for Justin to introduce today's guest.
1: One of the all-time greats in the history of the nation's sign of excitement whether he wants to believe it or not, is homegrown. He's a two-time track champion, a three-time milk bowl winner, and he's won, well, just about everything else. Uh, Started in the street stocks, moved up to the Tigers, and made it to the late models, doing it the right way uh, with the Tom Curley ladder system. And uh, at one point, he was dubbed the King of Barry by Tom Curley himself. Nick Sweet, welcome to Uncommon Deeds.
3: Hey, thank you for having me.
1: What have you been doing, man?
3: Uh... Currently tonight, uh, just by been trying to stay warm, have a couple drinks, and uh, you know, hang out with the family.
1: Well, and so this is this is an interesting setting, and of course, nobody can see you, but uh, you are doing this interview from the bedroom of Stephen Donahue, which is a little weird.
3: No, I'm in. I'm at the Donahue's house. Uh, John and I are great friends, and Stephen since has moved out. And I I found his room here to find a quiet spot, and it's like a an heirloom in here. I think there's a portrait of himself over his bed. <laughs>
1: outstanding.
3: Yeah, it's it's outstanding.
1: Is yeah. he wearing a shirt, or is he in his racing suit, or what's going on there?
3: I think he's in his racing suit. Okay, all right. It's either him or Dale Junior. One of the two. So. Same guy. Same guy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: Now, I'm looking forward to this interview and talking to you kind of like a normal person because Justin and I, over all our years of covering the races, we have to do three interviews before every race. Mm-hmm. And we were strongly suggested that if Nick Sweet is there, we need to talk to him.
1: Every and we race. Hit,
0: and we hit a few stretches where we were there two, three weeks in a row and we'd talk to you before the race, and then you'd finish in the top three, and we'd have to talk to you before the next race, and then you'd finish in the top three. And you were always very nice and smiled and said, sure. But your eyes kind of said, like, what the fuck do you want me to say to you?
3: No, no. I, you probably get that every time you talk to me because there's not much going on up in this head. So <laughs> that was back when it was really good and we were we were doing really good. Um since we, we don't, unfortunately, get to race at Thunder Road as much as I'd like to. And when I do go back, it's normally a bit of a struggle. It's amazing how quick you can fall behind and how good the competition is up there.
1: Now, you must be speaking strictly in terms of the late model because you've been unbeatable on the pass car lately.
3: Yeah, well, the pass car I drive on a normal basis, and I'm really fortunate to get to do that. Um, and I think when you, you race a car on a normal basis and get acclimated to it, I, I've been fortunate to have some success even in this past year In the years before we kind of sucked a bit, but we're, we're getting better and better every year. Um, but the ACT stuff, when I, when I get in those, I kind of struggle a bit, but we're, uh, we're hopefully going to better our program and try to get better there again and, Hopefully we can be talking again. Did
1: that, I hear that you guys are are building your own car back up? Is it's not? It can't be the one that you wrecked at the milk bowl a couple of years you know, ago.
3: There's those pieces, <laughs> those right. um, Yeah, no, I'm building another car. Um, I'd like to take it out a couple times this year. Building it just about broke me. I have three kids and a wife, and she said no more spending. So we're uh, <laughs> we're about three quarters of the way built. And we'll uh, we'll get as far as we can. Hopefully, we can get it out for three or four races this summer.
0: Is that a fun challenge trying to catch yeah, back yeah. up, or is it frustrating to not be at the top of the hill anymore?
3: I think it's a good thing. Um, if you're always not like when we were racing there full time, we got where we were having a lot of success was great. It, in the beginning, it's really hard as a driver and as a team when you had success. And then you come back and you don't have success. That's mentally tough. And it's tough to get along. Uh, tough. You start looking at yourself like, what am I doing wrong? Do I still have it? Um, and then you get past that. And then you start getting into the, the rebuilding process and trying to figure out what, what do we got to do to make it better for ourselves to make some success. Um, and another thing it does, sometimes when you're doing well, you get – expectations Um, expectations are good, but if you start getting high expectations and you don't meet those expectations, you leave the track disappointed. So you kind of revamp everything and think about what are the real reasons why you're doing it. And first off, you got to have fun and then you start setting goals low and progressively getting better and better. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll kind of go that direction.
1: So what is the reason? That you're still doing it, like you know, you you can't win anything else at Thunder Road that you haven't already won.
3: Yeah, but it's Thunder Road, and Thunder Road. I, I don't want to offend anybody on it. Thunder Road is not what it was when I raced there; it's very different. The pavement's new. There's a wall around the place. The lighting—you can actually see. I think I raced better. <laughs> I couldn't see. Um, the pit area is beautiful. Um, They've done great stuff to that racetrack. Um, the characteristics between the asphalt and the wall, I think I have to think of it as a racetrack, like being in like Connecticut, because it's not Thunder Road that I remember. Um, before turn four was treacherous. Come out of that, that everybody thought of that as a Widowmaker. They haven't named turn number two yet, but they will because it's it's like hold your breath every lap now it's uh it's a lot tighter racetrack than and it's not but it is because now you feel secluded and when there is an accident it's hard to escape it and it was almost impossible before so it just makes that racetrack that much harder now so the people that are on top um like naming off jason Corliss in the late model class scott dragon when he was racing the, the tigers like brandon lanfrey watched him and the street stocks he watched even the Jamie Fisher's boy coming up through, they are doing a really good job. And that's why I say it's easy to fall behind. Those guys have acclimated to make themselves really good in those situations. And if I go back and do it, I'll, I'll try to get right up there and hopefully get to race with those type of character racer.
1: It's interesting to hear you say that, that turn two is the problem spot now. Um, I went to the Milk Bowl. I only went to Thunder Road last year one time uh, because of the pandemic stuff, but I went to the milk bowl in 2019 and Brent dragon had come back. It was uh, the only race he's done in the last five, six years. And he had never, I don't think he'd seen the wall. And, uh, I asked him, I said, you know, how much different is it out there? And he said, I didn't even notice the wall. Um, so it's, it's interesting to hear you have that perspective of it. Um,
3: He he ran the track when the wall was gray, they painted it green. It's like looking at Fenway's Green Monster when you're coming yeah. off the turns, um, and turn two at Thunder Road is basically your speed spot. Like turn four, the way the track is designed, the front stretch is very narrow, but the back stretch is more like a D, and that's even the turn. The way it, it accelerates, you're accelerating middle to exit of two or in four. You're not if you're doing that in four, you're going to hit the wall. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's a different turn on how it's designed, and that's where all the speed is on that racetrack.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that's true. That is true.
3: To go back
1: yeah. to the beginning,
0: when do you remember seeing racing, having it come into your life on a regular basis?
3: Uh, well, I was fortunate. My dad helped some race teams when I was young. He's kind of always been involved in it. And uh, Mike Pelkey, they owned a granite shed uh, down the road from us. And I'm sure you've heard the name Matt Goslant. His dad, Kenny Goslant, was a big sponsor of Mike's. And my dad helped Mike, and I'd go down to the granite shed. And we were pretty young, Matt Goslant and me, but we'd run around. We didn't know anything about race cars, but we'd run around the stone shed. And I went down to that shed last summer to sandblast something. And that is like uh, a tomb. They still run a business there. But when you go out back, it's exactly how it was back in 1989. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty neat to see that kind of stuff. I think he's still got his race car back there. Um, And then uh, so I went to the races every Thursday night with my mom. That was her leverage point when I was being bad to uh, take me to the races. So uh, I tried to keep on my good behavior. (laughs) Um, And then he, uh, Mike kind of got done because of family stuff. Like he started making a family and all that. And then my dad went and helped Mike Bootsy and Mike ran a period of time at Thunder Road. And then we actually ended up over with your dad at white mountain and Pat was pretty good back then. So I remember that. And then before I knew it, I was old enough to wreck regular cars. So why not get a race car? parents regular cars did you oh yeah yeah i was i remember one i uh it was like i think it was christmas eve i was coming home from my girlfriends two hours late and uh i had to make up some time it was an icy night and i hit some ledges with a car so and I don't recommend any kid do this, but I kept going. So I brought it home. I went to turn the blinker on when I got home, and the blinker stayed on. I knew that wasn't good. I didn't know that much about cars. <laughs> so I pull in that the driveway and get in the house. My dad's like, you're late. We got bigger things to worry about. I said, I just went right to my room. <laughs> we worried about that on Christmas Day. So it was uh, that was one of the fond stories I remember of being young.
1: What kind of car was it?
3: It was a Honda Accord. Real babe catcher right there. <laughs> yeah.
1: Unbelievable. Uh,
3: my first car, it was uh, a van. We called it the beaver eater. It was uh wood paneling siding, windows went roll down, uh V six, I remember that studded tires in the summer. It was uh good that was a nice car.
1: Really good. Yeah. <laughs> but the wrecking didn't stop because you you went right to Enduro's.
3: I did. Yeah, we uh, actually, and this is another story, I actually wrecked a personal regular car, and the fan might still be alive. I, I There was this beautiful Camaro at Thunder Road. It was like a 1981 custom car. I remember walking by it after the races. I was helping carry Henry at the time. I love
1: recently. him. I love Kerry
3: Henry. Yep. He's a great guy. But I parked my car. You know where all the campers are as you're leaving before the tree line, there was like ledges <laughs> there. And I parked my car near a ledge, and it was low, it was a Toyota Camry. And I happened to hit the ledge, and it for whatever reason it hurt a brake line on the car. And that beautiful car that I saw walking by, I hit it. Ugh. I was pulling down in the line and I lost the brakes. And uh, it was like a week later. I decided to race the enduro. I couldn't do any worse. So we uh, we got an enduro car, and uh, from there I was hooked.
1: But that, I mean, you almost won, didn't you? Was it the first year or second year? But you were leading late. In the
3: second year, I almost won. Yeah. No, we. Uh, that's when I really decided I wanted to get a race car. Um, it just gave you a feeling that I don't even care how I did. Just the. One thing that I probably had a little different eye view than most, when I got on Thunder Road for the first time, I still remember to this day, you're thinking, look at all the, to me, all the famous names that have been on that place. And now I get to go out and drive around this place. And I remember the first time out, I thought I was going so fast. And they threw the yellow flag to go in the pits. And I, in practice, I think I hit the wall (laughs) trying to put the brakes on. So, it was well, you. Just you. Uh, you learn all those little things as you go up through, and uh, that's what get, I got started in. That was probably some of the most fun I ever had.
1: And then uh, the street stocks came along. This is 2003 now, and I remember I will never forget it because I, I didn't even know who you were, but you showed up at my trailer at the last race of the year and said, "Hey, you get a whatever it was. I think you were looking for a, a carb hat or something like that." And, uh, or an air cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you came up to my trailer and you're like, Hey, uh, do you have, do you have one of these? I'm building a car for next year. I need one. And I mean, you think you're goofy now. You should have seen you back when you were 16, 17 years old. You ever on the road, I had braces. I was a mess. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to that. Um, <laughs> but I said, Yeah, I got one. And I gave you, you asked for my address. I gave you my address. And then I forgot about it. And then one random day, here you come knocking on the door and you're like, Hey, I'm here for that uh, air cleaner. And I'm like, who are you again? (laughs) And then you're off and running and then you kick the living shit out of us the next year. I mean, from, from almost day one, I was really
3: fortunate. I, I was, uh, my, my dad and I built that car together and my dad had very good fab skills and he had been in racing. So he kind of, he's, taught me a lot of things along the way. And slowly I kind of started taking over a little bit, a little bit. Now I work on them all the time and my dad still comes and helps and it's great, but he, he's definitely, he, he helps as much as he did before, but now I do it as my full-time job. So it's hard for him to get down and do everything that I get to do. So it's pretty neat to see how you kind of just grow and grow and grow as you go through the years.
0: When do you remember getting some confidence that at least in street stocks, you could race better than just about anybody else.
3: Well, that that's pretty nice you to say, but it was, I wasn't uh, ever, I still to this day, don't think I can race better than anybody else. We try to prepare things correctly when we go to the racetrack and I learn every time I go on the racetrack, whether it's even just a minute thing, um, how a car feels uh, braking like there's so many things and I, I hear it all the time a uh, street stalker will come down to me and say oh, I can't wait to move up and I try to explain to even if you're racing an enduro car to a street stock you're still doing the same thing that a guy racing a cup car or maybe not be as long distance and as technical but Racing, that's the beauty of it. You can be in an enduro car or a street stock and still get the same enjoyment and fulfillment out of it as the guys that are doing it as a profession. That's the beauty of racing.
1: How much How much did you actually know when you first got into a street stock?
3: Nothing. Nothing. I knew, I knew how to wreck regular cars. And uh, I had watched Mike Bootsy over at White Mountain and – I knew nothing about lift points and all that, but you, you at least watched it, and it was an interest of mine. Um, the one thing that, and it it's terrible because I I used to pick on people for it, like the eye racing thing. You hear a lot of people eye race now, <clears throat> and back then, my parents, my dad worked for at the time. I think it was the same company, but it's been, been bought out so many times. I think it was SimQuest or McCallips back then. But in 95, we had a computer, which was pretty abnormal for a household at that time. Mm-hmm. It's a gateway whatever. But it had – we had this – like a it's not a simulator, but it was a NASCAR game. And my dad, he would come home, and I'd be punching the steering wheel. And he would kick me off. And so
1: – That was the game with uh, Ned Jarrett, right? What's that? For Papyrus, this was NASCAR racing. Ned Jarrett said the voiceover. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Yeah, but I he, uh,
3: he actually taught me, even though he didn't realize, it, he taught me skills, even though you get mad and want to throw a temper tantrum, usually the people who get mad behind the wheel are crowd pleasers, by the way. But he taught me, if you get mad, you, especially on this video game, I can kick you off. So same thing, it just kind of grew me at a young age and he, he didn't even know he was doing it. He was doing it for a parenting skill because I looked absolutely, absolutely ridiculous yelling at a computer, but it was just a good technique that you don't realize it taught you skills at a very young stage.
1: But that's the extent of your knowledge was how to not get mad.
3: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. But I'm telling you, I think, yeah, you got to have skill, but I think 90% of racing is your attitude. If you go there with a cruddy attitude and you're mad at the world, it's probably not getting any better on the racetrack because you're not going to have any patience. You're going to make poor decisions. And like I say, those are the ones the fans love to watch because they get out and they punch the car throw the helmet at somebody. Um, but if you have a good attitude and you go there with the right attitude, and I believe Gary Mullen in the street stocks is one of those guys that has a great attitude. He yeah. goes there. The open face ski helmet is classic. Like, I want one. Like, if he autographed it, I'd put it up on my shelf. And uh, he's just got a great attitude. He's, he's one of those guys – He's just there for the right reasons. Yeah, he's there to win, but he's there ultimately to have fun and better his craft. And I'm telling you, if you do that, you're going to have so much more fun in racing than having expectations to win every week.
1: The first uh, first feature he ever qualified for, Gary Mullen, it was in 2001. He ran the whole year and never made a show. And he finally qualified and started on the pole in the feature. And I dogged him for 15 laps or 20 laps, whatever the, the feature was. And I couldn't beat him. He won the race. It was his first start really his first start, he won the race and I finished second and he was as even keel and vanilla and didn't, he, he didn't care. I mean, he was happy that he got in the show and the the fact that he won was, Oh great. We've got something to take home now. And he is the same way if he destroys the car and hangs it on the wall and God knows he wrecks a lot of race cars. There's the picture every year is Gary Mullen on the wall. Um, But he, but you're right though. It's about the attitude and, He is the shining star of any division in that pit area.
3: The beauty of racing, Justin, is you don't realize it as a driver, but your character comes out no matter how you can control it or not. Eventually, it's going to come out, whether you're a hothead, a Gary Mullen, um, the guy that just doesn't think, which I love watching those guys because they are the guys that are, like, awesome to watch, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, And then you get to see the guy that, he starts off that way and he starts learning and he gets better and better. And I can't think of one that comes to name right now, but I know that you just, and I, I believe I, I get to learn this stuff. I remember you and I would go to races to Groveton to watch Wiener bite his tongue off in practice, but he won practice. <laughs> <laughs> the <other team> <laughs> oh Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I remember I remember all of those trips. And
2: Did you
0: uh, play any sports growing up, or were you just kind of the kid on the side?
3: No, I did play sports. You um, kind of looked played, like a
0: small hockey player, if I had to guess. I was a
3: hockey player. You a hockey player. Yeah, I was a hockey player, and I was a baseball player. Um, not a very good baseball player, but I had fun doing it. We had a season – it's terrible. I, I look at the seasons that we did poor. Um, we had a season in high school. I was a sophomore in high school and we went zero and 19 and that taught me how to be a loser. Well, um, but you know, that kind of, those things groom you for later on, even in life and in racing, especially like in racing, as you know, you're going to lose a lot more than you win. Um, and that particular year, even though we were losing, We stayed together as a hockey team and yeah, people in the community, in Spalding community, they didn't really follow us that much, but we were still friends at the end of it. And it's kind of the same thing in racing.
0: Did it translate easy for you in terms of the social aspect of being at the track and being, you know, door to door, trailer to trailer, and everybody's talking to everybody. Were you cool? I'll go talk to this guy three trailers down.
3: No, I was pretty quiet when I first started. Out. I believe it or not, uh, when I first started, I, being in front of a big crowd, I was actually really nervous. Um, I didn't do well with that kind of stuff. Even when it came to, I remember the first time. You remember when they do the parade lap after I, I had won a race for the first time, and I won it just because uh, it was rat. It wasn't ra- what was his name, Ravadoo. Amy and I think super Joe Fecto took each other out and I happened to just be the guy in third and I won. And it was like, Holy moly. I just want a race. And then I like, it's funny that week leading up, I was like, wait a minute. I have to go out in that parade lap. I got to stand in front of all the next, people.
1: the next week. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I remember standing as straight as a military guy didn't move, didn't even breathe. And, uh, just as you get going and what I learned, and that's the beauty of racing. It taught me how to be in front of people. And if you like me, great. If you don't, it is what it is.
1: So you, you brought up the rookies at the road documentary. Um, and that was that year, your, your first season. That's, that's what it was rookies at the road It was you and Keith Fortier and Alex Perkins, I think. Right. And so how did you, how did you handle that? I mean, cause that's not, crowd, but it's a camera and that's just as intimidating, I would think.
3: Yeah, well honestly, I, when these two they're really nice guys there was a guy by the name of Nat Winthrow and I'm trying to think of the other producer. They always had cotton in their ears and I'm, I was like I
1: remember that. Yeah. I
3: guys. <laughs> and uh, I took him serious, but I didn't take him serious. So they like, they were cameraing and they said they were going to do this documentary and I didn't have any idea as to really what they were doing but they put a camera in front of me and I talked to the best of my ability which is still on the hack still to this day but uh, they uh, they put that in front of me and after every race and I believe it helped actually later on in my career it brought me out of my shell a little bit by talking to people um, because I, I wasn't a shy kid but I wouldn't have been outgoing like this now like i can just talk like you and i and it is what it is so
0: and as you get more comfortable tell me what is a uh what's a road trip to canada with justin like
3: oh boy
1: oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> we did that yeah.
3: yeah yeah no we uh i remember we went to canada it was uh it was a good time we went up and go went go-karting it was uh i remember it was among other there. things
1: yeah, among yeah, other yeah, things.
3: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm keeping it PG-13 here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but remember, wasn't it P. Shea, he He came back with us, and his dad took his driver's license. Yes. you remember this?
1: I we do. stuck at
3: the Border Patrol. Yep. were convicts, and they were like, I, I just couldn't believe that. That was that was quite a trip. But I remember vaguely, Adam May- or Aaron Mayard was up there. He was probably yeah. announcing in his helmet back then. -hmm. And uh, I had I had dumped him, and the next lap he put me so far into that tire barrier, (laughs) I was. It was on top of you. Yeah. (laughs) You or Eddie? That they actually like. I love the drivers' meetings. They're speaking in French. Yeah. Like just nod, just nod. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) We went out. They're like throwing the black flag at us under yellow because we're like killing each other. I think Eddie companion blew a card up, or it might have been you, Justin, and one of them twisted it right around a pole.
1: Yeah, we we knocked a motor off one one night. Um, I don't know if you were there for that one, but I will never forget you. It was Keith Fortier was with us that night, too, and uh, you were under the tire wall, and I mean, that's a a wreck. That's a a big deal. That was at that go-kart track that we had never, you had never
3: gone to, because you were going up to the go-kart track, the other one, all the time. Yeah, the nice one. And there was a good looking French girl that kicked all of our tails. Remember her?
1: Yep. Yep. And
3: uh, then we went to that other one and that other one was, it was a bit shady, but it was a bit fun.
1: (laughs) I got uh, carbon monoxide poisoning with Brian Hoare in there one time.
3: (laughs) I believe it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: It was the beer before the go-kart raid. I love it. They sell beer in the car and then you get to go out on go-karts. I love it.
1: So, okay. Well, that's all 2003. All of that is 2003. (laughs) Um, in '04, you you took it a little bit more seriously, but uh, it didn't work out. You guys got nailed with a with a motor penalty, um, which took you out of the championship. I mean, you still ended up second and almost won the title anyway. But how does how did you guys handle that?
3: Um, back then, and still, it's never it's never a good thing to get caught deemed illegal. Um, I remember that was pretty devastating at the time. You don't want to be known as the guy that's pushing the rules, especially when you're a young kid like that. And I was really against Tom Curley kind of groomed that into everybody. He hated cheaters. And uh, we unfortunately had some Keith black pisses. I remember we we're all in tech that night and they, I think they, they not only disqualified me, they disqualified a couple others. Um, but it was, that was a, an eye opener. And then you realize the feeling you don't really want to be in that situation again. Um, and then as you get racing, not that you're trying to cheat, but what do they say? If you ain't, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, Mm -hmm. but it's uh, one of those things you definitely, now that I do it as my living, you're always trying to find in the rules, how to beat the guy around you. That's the name of the game. It's, uh, try to, try to outsmart the racer and have something they don't because as you go up. More and more in levels, and there's still those certain guys that are learning. But the guys that are racing in the pro stocks and the late models, they've been doing it longer than I have, most of them. Like Mike Rowe is still racing a pro stock. He's been doing it before you and I were born. Um And you got to try to outsmart those guys because they're by far very good race car drivers.
1: Have you been in trouble since that since that day in
3: tech? Uh I don't know. I'm probably in trouble every time I'm in tech. That's just the part of the game. Um, you're always pushing everything you can. Um, I, I don't think we've been disqualified. I'm trying to think. Well, I don't think you have been, but I, chase, this past year with Eric chase, I got disqualified for having the car too wide and it was, I will take total responsibility on it. I had, uh, the car just too wide. So it's one of those things. And that's, uh, I know it's not a huge infraction, but it didn't comply with the rules, and I I think it's a, a good thing that a racetrack holds the racers' heads to the fire because if you don't, then you start getting the rumors that, oh, he's getting away with this and uh, he he's doing this. So you just – as a racetrack, you almost got to hold with a stern iron fist on that kind of stuff. So when
0: do you so, decide yeah. to start moving on towards Tigers next?
3: I – had raced the street stocks two years, and Chuck Beatty was the one that actually had a frame. I actually bought my street stock, the just the car. We built it, but the car from Chuck. Chuck always treated me really well. And then I went up and bought a frame. And uh, I don't know why it, it, it was just, just my mentality, just like you hear all these other racers that want to move up. We all aspire to want to go higher and higher and higher. So that was my mentality. I wanted to get a Tiger car. And I got, again, we, we built a, we bought a just a frame rail from Chuck. And we took it back to Mike Bootsy's garage. And my dad, Keith Fortier, and myself, all winter long, that's what we did. We built the Tiger car. It kind of gave us something to do, too. Kept me out of trouble. And uh, Keith was great help through those times.
1: It was a beautiful piece too, though. I mean, and that it still is, it's still out there. Um, But I remember, you know, at this point we we were buddies and and I'd been in the shop a couple of times and I don't, I still don't know a damn thing about race cars, but you could see even an outsider could see that it was, it was a really sharp looking race car and and that there were a lot of things different with that car at that time that, that nobody else was trying. And, Was that, how did all this come about? Because I mean, that car was a world beater. The first year as a rookie, you won at four different racetracks.
3: Yeah, we had a really good year. So and I, I believe a lot of it was the car was ahead of its time at the time. Um, I was learning Um, what, what we did and believe it or not, you don't realize this, Justin, but when I would go with you, we'd go to races and we watch. And I remember going to, Different racetracks, and even with my dad, I'd go around and just pick up little ideas uh, from people's race cars. Um, the A-pillar—I I saw on the internet that you guys had a feed on that car, and the A-pillars—the design—it had come from a couple different people. Jeff Taylor had built it, so he was trying to build the A-pillar out a little bit, so it gave the driver head clearance if they ever rolled over. In my mm-hmm. assumption. And I did it for that and to try to find vision out the left side, like when you're going into the turn. I don't know if I'd build that anymore like that, but at the time, that was my theory. Anything that we tried to build our cars with, and this has always been my mentality. On a race car, there needs to be a purpose why that item is on that race car. And then you got to start thinking about, well, can I make it stronger and lighter? That's really... Race cars, when you simplify everything, really, really simplify everything, it comes down to trying to make mechanical grip and go around the racetrack as fast as you can. And you've got to have horsepower mechanical grip. So if you can do those things, you're going to beat the guy around you if you, can, if you can make those better. Granted, you still can make poor decisions as a driver, but that's where you, you have to hone your skills and make yourself as a driver better too. And are you starting
0: to enjoy the building process as much as the racing at this point?
3: I do. Um, racing, and it. I never would have said it probably. I was very fortunate. Eric Chase needed somebody to work on his race car. And, uh, and I don't know if he needed it, but he, he, had, he actually, the way we met, he couldn't make it because he was gone to a business opportunity or something at one point. And he needed me to drive a car. And I met him through driving his car at Beach Ridge. And uh, I act, I happened to do okay. I started 28th and finished 7th. So we got talking, and then he put me in the car for Loudon. And we went out and oh, – oh, Hold on, hold on.
1: You hadn't met him
3: until that point? I had raced against him, but I really hadn't met him. He just called me out of the blue. Eric was that way. He yeah. he had got to drive his car one time. He just called me out of the blue and said, Nick, I've raced against you. I can't make it tomorrow you want to race my car. And I'm, I'm thinking this is too good to be true. Like, what's the catch here? And he's like, I was like, is there anything like I'd have to pay? He's like, no, the trailers there I'll have uh, at the time, the guy's name was Marty. Um, he uh, was a truck driver. Dave Paya was the crew chief. So it was Dave Paya, Marty and my dad and myself, we took in a truck and we went to Beach Ridge. and Dave Paya. He's a smart guy. He is a character. old Dave, he, uh, the thing that I remember, we so we're loading up to go out to the infield, and Dave doesn't – he's not He's not going to bring out the pick card. It's him. And uh, my dad's like, okay, well, you're going to bring a jack? He's like, yeah, I don't even think I'm going to bring a jack. He's like, come to find out, I'll just – I'm not even going to take a tire. By the time the other teams know it's gone, it'll already be on your car. <laughs> it's like, okay. So he uh, – <laughs> my dad – came across the radio. I don't think Dave had his radio on yet. And he's like, "Nick, just don't pit. <laughs> if you have to pit, just take a hard right and go to the trailer." <laughs> so, we we ended up finishing 7th that night. Started 29th. Uh it was that was how I get to meet Eric Chase and then he let me run his car at Loudon. We ended up finishing second and it just kind of s- snowballed from there.
1: We're we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves and I do want to talk more about Eric later, but um you know, let's, let's go through your, your Tiger years, because, uh, that, again, that first year was was just outstanding. Um, Kane and Lee, Airborne, and Thunder Road, you, you went to victory lane. Um, the second year, it looked like you were going to be, you know, the guy to win the title. Um, won a couple at Thunder Road, uh, killed San Air. Just totally blew him away at San Air. Um, and then you had your real first big wreck.
3: Yeah. Well that year 2006. Was, yeah, that was oh six. I was doing really good, but behind the scenes I wasn't doing too well. So at that time I was busier worrying about chasing around women. And then I happened to meet my wife and, uh, I wanted to hang out with her more and I wanted to race at that time. I was just at that age that that was kind of more exciting to me at that time. And there's times it still can be when racing is going bad, but, um, but no, I, uh, I did have a big wreck in midseason but the chemistry so my dad has supported me all the way through and I remember I wasn't putting enough time in at the shop back then and uh, he even told me he's like you got to make a choice like if you want to go play a house that's fine but don't don't expect me to continue to carry you and it, we had a lot of behind the scenes turmoil back then um, and it it just kind of I knew I had to grow up and you had to you had to make a choice if you were gonna do this. And we, we unfortunately struggled most of that year. Um and at the end of the year, the last race of the year, I think we won. We ended up winning the race. <clears throat> and uh that that gave us a lot of life going into the winter kind of deal. But I remember that was our green car. I painted it. I think Mike Rowe had a red car that was very similar to it, and Jeff Taylor is green, the signature green. And I've always been, uh, those guys have always kind of been my mentors going to watch a 250 because that's what I used to go up and do with Keith and his dad. And Larry would try to kill us on the way home from Oxford every year. going about a hundred. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'd go there and watch a 250. And that's how I kind of really mentored a lot of those people and still do.
0: From a distance, because I think around that time I started helping my cousin, Sean, he had a short stint there in Tigers. It seemed like you guys had an incredible kind of click in that Tiger division. There was, you, know, you, Chipper, Justin Hart, and Joel Hodgson was there, and it just seemed like you guys were all having fun and everybody was willing to help anybody. I feel like I saw Chipper drive about four different Tigers trying to figure out how to help people set it up.
3: Well, believe it or not, that big wreck that I had, when you say it's just a tight group, uh, Smitty, Joe Steffen's car owner, he called me, and I didn't know these guys that well. I knew Joe a little bit, and we didn't really have any problems on the racetrack, but I didn't know them, and Smitty called me. I was working for Benoit Electric at the time. I still remember it. I was at Porter Hospital working. I got a phone call, and Smitty said, do you want to race this Thursday? And I was like, what? I'm like, I, my car's not gonna be ready. He's like, I asked you, do you want to race? I didn't realize they had a backup car, and they actually put me in their backup car that that next week. And that, and the I said, well, what am I gonna owe you? And he said, honestly, what you're gonna owe me? He rent, he used to rent the ice at UVM, and he'd go out in his Hawaiian shirt and his skates in shorts and shoot pucks. Mm-hmm. And I went out with that, and I would do that today with that guy. He's a great guy great guy and uh that's that's the beauty of this thunder road racing community there's a there he's one of amongst so many great people that are involved in this community we're so fortunate and it's the history of it and when you said sean and chip and all that and that just brought back a ton of great memories i remember we'd go to justin hart's trailer he lived in williamstown we sit around the fire and burn all the black oak there from the the season before the race tires they're helping the atmosphere Um, the black oak (laughs) uh, i think justin's place that was my first place i remember keith had to drive me home i was probably trying to get together with rachel at that point or something who knows and uh i remember uh i was like slow the car down keith i'm we're, we're gonna wreck we're doing like 10 miles an hour i ended up throwing up on the way home that was Justin got me initiated right well, <laughs> just uh, stuff like that. It was it's a uh, it was a family back then. I remember Chris, Chris Genro. He was another great guy. Yeah, show up at the racetrack with his Daisy Duke shorts on, long
1: <laughs> yeah, <down. laughs> yeah,
3: go out and kick your tail with his grim pre Pontiac. <laughs> so it was uh, there were some characters, and that's what makes Thunder Road so great.
1: Do you miss those days now that it's? you know you're 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 not polished don't don't misunderstand me but you got to be a little bit more polished in the the lay models i mean it's it's your job it's your job
3: yeah i don't i don't want to pride myself ever on being a politician or being polished there's uh there's dirt racer he won i don't even know his name i think his last name is car is it jeremy carpenter you know who this kid is Jeremy,
1: Jeremy Carpenter's my buddy. Uh, Tyler, Carpenter. <laughs> yes, Tyler I, Carpenter. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Yep. He is not polished and he's Eddie, Eddie Racer's idol right there. He's about as hayseed as it gets, but Jesus, his speeches are amazing. He throws the F bomb out like four times in one interview. He's awesome. <laughs>
1: He just uh, he just cheated on his wife too, that was that was real public. I don't know if you saw that. It was, no, yeah, no. Oh, it's a it, what a show! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Late model kid down to to in to Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man! All right. So you win a you, you you won the the milk bowl in '06 in the Tiger Car, the the mini bowl, opening day in '07. Year off and running you won again. And it was just that was the next sweet show that year on the Tigers. And, and you know, we don't really have to spend a lot of time on that year because there's not much to talk about other than you winning all the time and and winning the championship.
3: Yeah, we had a great year that year. And that was the year so um we put on the new body, and that fiberglass body at the time was a lot lighter than what we had yeah. on those cars, especially high weight, you could put the weight low. And it just took our car to that next level at that time. Um, and I remember the milk bowl that year, we did win the championship, but I remember Ben Benro brought these two beautiful race cars and they were on this big trailer. And uh, I remember looking at one of them and it was for sale. And I, I think they wanted like $26,000. I'm at this age. I'm probably 23 right around there. I don't got $26,000 in my back pocket, but my wheels are spinning. I was the one thing I'll say is I've always been a dreamer and I've been, even my dad, right from the beginning, he's a more of a realistic type person. That's like, no, you don't have a garage. You don't, you don't have any of this stuff. What are you, what are you thinking? And I, I've always been a dreamer. And for whatever reason, it's always in some weird way, and it might not be exactly how you envision it, but it's come true. So I've been really fortunate in all that, like whether it's success to, and it's not even success on a racetrack. It's it's getting to be in opportunities that I never would have imagined to even be a part of. So that's what the really, you, you just, when you sit back and you can sit back on the history of it, you, you're pretty excited about how that all went down.
1: But it stopped in turn one at Lee in your first start in a late model. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I still remember Claude DeClaire.
1: Yeah. He's
3: probably running last. And uh, I, I remember it. I started on the outside pole that day, which I should have been smart enough to not. But I was all amped up, and I remember going into turns three, and I spun out, and I'm facing the field, and I got back going. And then there was another accident in turn one, and I drove right into it. And then Claude DeClaire came. I think he was the last car never lifted <laughs> came in. And at that point I didn't know any late model guys and I got very well educated the first day out. That was a very expensive, expensive day. Um, but back to the backing up a little bit, how I got into the late model stuff. Troy Germain was a, he, he was the announcer at the time yeah. and yep. uh, he, he used to come up and talk to me once in a while. And uh, I told him that I wanted to go late model racing. And I said, There's just no way. I, I don't have the budget. And Troy Germain, for whatever reason, he just had a kind heart. And he he's like, Nick, I'm going to try to get you some help. And I was like, Oh, that's nice. And I didn't, I didn't think as to what extent. And he got me a huge sponsor that actually turned into a great friendship and a long time sponsor. It was uh, St. Giotto. He worked for them at the time. John and Mike Lociava, they're great people. Um, and he got me in touch with them, and that's how we got started because there was no way I could financially afford to race a late model.
1: Can I, can I embarrass you and ask how much that deal was worth? Because that was the hottest rumor for a long time was was how much money you were making up St. J. Auto. Uh, well, the first
3: year they did give me a substantial amount of money. Um, it was a, a great sponsor. And I think they realized this kid is not worth that kind of money. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> the next years, they, they brought it down. Um, but they, they were, we'll put it this way, they were a huge... I didn't use their money to get started, per se, but I realized how expensive that racing on the tour was. Um, the first year after buying everything, I remember going through and doing my taxes. And at that time, it was... Not And the tour is still really prestigious, but at that time, everybody had to have uniforms and everybody had to have flags. And it, it was just everything was really professional looking. So all that stuff means money. So you got to spend more money. I had to buy radios. I had to buy all this stuff. And I remember after the whole season, I think it was like $90,000, everything all total that we spent racing, building, like buying the car, all that. And it, it scared me. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe that's more than my house was worth at the time. So we downscaled the next year. We didn't, I wouldn't say downscale. We stay more local. We went, we went back to racing Thunder Road because that's really what I wanted to do and what I could afford. I believe racing the tour that first year was really good for me. We struggled. We We started off. I remember being on the phone with you one time. And one thing I'll say about you, Justin, you tell me things that I don't want to hear sometimes, which is great. That's a great friend. But I remember you told me after the third race, I had wrecked my third time. And you're like, I think it's time to calm down a little bit. <laughs> like, I think you got to stop wrecking race cars. And
1: uh, Well, you that, must have listened, though.
3: That set hard. And I was like, that fucking asshole. But <laughs> it worked out. And uh, I thought about it. And then the next race at Thunder Road, we came back. And we ended up finishing the top five, yeah, which was like that was a, more than a win for us. And it just kind of it's weird when you get momentum going and you change your attitude on how things are going. It was like it just took off. And from there, we uh, we kept excelling. I remember there was a highlight at Oxford that year. We ended up finishing second to Patrick LaPearl. And uh, that was another highlight of that year.
1: Well, you had a great run in the 250 that year, too.
3: Yeah, we did. We ended and, up and I was in the press
1: box that year and uh nobody knew who the hell Nick Sweet was and of course Kevin Harvick is there that year. Yeah. Um so that's the buzz, but you're up there, you you know, there's every year there's a Cinderella story in the 250 and it was you that year.
3: Yeah, that was uh that was pretty neat. We uh we did finish believe it or not that actually. So we'd been tearing stuff up and I remember money was starting to get tight even with all the funding we had for help. And that race, believe it or not, carried us the rest of the way through the year that year for financial reasons. And uh, I was – at that point, this is the car um, we bought from Benro's team. And I remember I had my, my first child that year. So dad of the year right here. So my wife's pregnant, and she goes into labor. This is back in the winter. We're stepping back a little bit. And I had already scheduled at the time a paint booth. To paint my body, um, it was we had the baby, and I had already scheduled painting with I got to go paint my race car. So we had the baby. I go paint my race car. I come back with, like, black hands, black hair. The nurses are looking at me like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, I'm coming to see my kid. <laughs> so dad of the year right there. Uh, my wife still holds that one over my head, by the way. <laughs>
1: you should. Yeah.
0: Curious, any particular reason why? you chose 88
3: uh well we were 50 and i was my theory on 50 was it was halfway to 100 um but jay LaCare at the time was racing the 50 yeah so my dad called me and he gave me a list of numbers that weren't there and there was like some weird numbers like 73 like just odd numbers that they're cool but i just saw 88 and i was like well that's kind of a cool number you mess up an eight, you just put another one next to it. So easy enough. <laughs> well, so, you're yeah. a big Jeff
1: Taylor fan too, though.
3: Yeah, and Jeff Taylor, he was a huge icon of what I watch for racing. I In the beginning, his eights were very different than mine. He has really cool designs on it. I think that Eric's design does all his race cars. Every year his cars look phenomenal. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we became 88 that way.
1: As simple as nobody else had it. <laughs>
3: yeah that's pretty much it and like you say jeff taylor was at, that didn't even come to mind until you actually said it but i'm sure at the time i know at that point i was still working for benoit electric um i remember working in the it was a telecom closet at, at fletcher allen i think and that's when my dad called i remember being on the phone talking about numbers it's funny how that stuff all comes back when you get in these conversations
1: so you're home at thunder road for 2009 and um you, that's, you kind of found your footing at that point.
3: Yeah, we we still, that year, we struggled a bit. We had some great success at that time. Um, I remember one thing that I've always been good at when I wreck a race car. It's not like pushing it off. Like, we got to hammock it, and I get to wave to the crowd. So if you're not going to win, be the show is my theory. Um, and there were some times I was the show on the hammock. And uh, we did that that year uh, qu- quite a few times, it felt like. Um, but we did the highlight of that year that I remember. Um, it was the the milk bowl. We went out and we actually time trialed it on the pole. And I don't know how. I, to this day, I don't know if the time clock was off. But we ended up putting it on the pole, which was that was the highlight of my Season, I remember that that year, and we went out in the milk bowl. We weren't that good. I think we finished tenth, um, but that was a, a big point because I I'm a terrible time trailer, and I'll admit that till today, always been. Um, but that, well, and that's
1: that's back when they still had the uh, electric guy with Tom Curley sitting down in turn one, and Pete well, facto flips every year. And I didn't know, I didn't know if Tom Curley
3: like just like. Missed a number on that or whatever, but I'll take it. Heck, I'm in the history book. I'll take. It. Uh, I remember the year before that. It's funny you say that about the Pete Facto flips. I went out first because I thought time trial and first gonna be the best thing in the world. I went out. I think I qualified last, um, and then next guy was Pete Facto, and he went out and I was like, did the throttle stick? Nope. He just drove it until he wrecked
1: it. Every year. Every year.
3: You know that motto, if you're not going to win me the show? He
1: was yeah, it.
0: <laughs>
3: that
0: was it. <laughs> now, we talk a lot about Ken Squire here on the podcast, and it's named you know, for him. And one thing about Ken, and it's almost like professional wrestling, he likes to build characters. You know, He's going to build the good guys. He's going to build some bad guys to go against. At what point do you start realizing you're being made into the, the hometown kid you know, the the hero of Barry who's going to save the day.
3: You know, I was the hero of Barry because Norm Fortier worked on my race team and he'd force feed Ken Beer after the races. That's <laughs> the reason I was the hero. Uh, Ken is a – he's a, a big help in my racing career, and I, I'm shooting ahead on you here. But Ken, when I – I had an opportunity to race some Can Any stuff for NDS Motorsports, and I, I did – And I, in my eyes, I did poor, um, but Ken, he, uh, he took me under his wing a bit and he helped me write basically a resume. And he gave it to some guy. I don't know if it ever took tuition, but just the fact Ken is a great person. He's, uh, when he was writing, I, I wrote it and it was awful. I'm not a writer, but when you listen to Ken, he just, the way he words things, he's just colorful. He's, uh, he always told me, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. You know <laughs> and uh, he, one thing I can tell you about Ken Squire, this is a Ken Squire story. So we think of Ken, Ken's a guy that I'll just come out and have a beer with and have a conversation. Well, I'm racing down at the motor mile for Scott Millington in a late model stock car.
1: This is Virginia.
3: Yeah, this is Virginia. And I got a spotter that's a big time. Ken and East guy. So Ken out of the blue calls me. I don't know why. Who knows? He might've been drunk that day. I don't know, but he calls me and we're talking and the spotter's like, who is that? And I said, that's Ken Squire. And he's like, okay, you're not talking to Ken Squire. I'm like, that's Ken. Like you want to see. And, uh, he couldn't believe that I down in the South, Ken Squire. And I'm sure up here he is too, but to you and I, he's our friends. But he is a legend down in that area. People were like, you, t- you know Ken Squire. I'm like, yeah, that- he owns Thunder Road. <laughs> like, it's just Ken. <laughs> so he's, uh, he's a big deal in auto racing, and we're really fortunate that we get to even be a part of his racing stuff back in the day. And with every,
0: you know, built-up good guy that you were, you need an adversary Enter. Derek O'Donnell
1: yeah
3: he was good at it too he uh he'd get out of the car and Derek and I I can talk to Derek Derek's a, we were fine on and off the racetrack I'm not like you know probably go up to his house and stuff but Derek Derek's a great competitor but man he'd get out of the car and he'd say something to the crowd that they just hated and he'd just I don't think he was even role-playing at that time I just think that was him <laughs> <laughs> were, the Black Knight of the White
1: Mountains, yeah,
3: yeah. Ken just knew how to paint a picture, and I'm, and there is a certain thing. Not that you you still got to be yourself, but there is a certain thing to playing into his storyline. And I honestly don't think Derek did. I think Derek was just that guy. He was perfect for it, and he was good, and uh, he was that guy from New Hampshire. That that black race car. He was like the black night and I was like the white knight and it was just you had two very different personalities and it was it was perfect at that time.
0: And Justin and I would used to look at each other because it was literally you'd be walking through the
3: pits and you're wearing white and a white hat
0: Derek's <laughs> yeah. in black
3: wearing a black hat. That might have been self-induced a little bit by Ken. He was like, you gotta make it look like you're well Marvin, you know Marvin there with a the, can't pronounce his eyes. He's like, You gotta get a white cowboy hat. I'm like, Marvin, I'm eleven.
2: Like you don't want me with a
3: hat. I was gonna steal his boots, but he wouldn't let me.
0: Marvin Marvin's got some
3: stories about those boots.
0: About those boots.
1: Oh yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. I bet they're comfy.
1: I bet they they've been out through some windows in a hurry, I think. <laughs> that guy.
3: Well, that's why that guy's
1: a legend, too. You got that right. You know, the big dirty secret about Derek O'Donnell is he's actually from Vermont. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it works, though. So, but And, again, I do want to go back to Derek uh, at, at, later in this conversation. Um, but you've got uh, – you get your first win in in um, 09. Can you, can you tell us what that felt like, that Thunder Road?
3: <laughs> you know, it's terrible to say. I don't remember it now. My first win in 09. When was it?
1: That was the late model. Did your first late model win. August uh, August of 09. Honestly? This is the year you'd run the tour and then you came back to Thunder Road.
3: I, I must have felt something at the time. You know, the sad thing is I remember the failures more than I remember the wins.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, and sometimes I remember it's, racing is not always just about being at the racetrack. Sometimes the best stories are in the hotel or And the people you're around and the win, can you like, I don't know if you have any history on it. Did I start? I don't
1: remember. I I don't remember that much detail, but I was hoping you might, but okay. Then, then let's go to, I bet you do remember this opening day of 2010. uh, You won the tour race and that sets the stage for your championship.
3: Yeah, I do remember that. Um, So that one, um, we had just had the car reclipped because we wanted to update our car and Jeff Taylor. He's the guy that I've, since I've got, I used to build my own stuff, tigers and streets. And when I got a lane model, I wanted to buy Ben Rose cause it was a distance car. And I really looked up to Jeff Taylor and he clipped our car that year. And we went out the first race and won. And I'm like, wow, this is a big difference. It was just updated it was a better, working race car and uh we ended up i remember joey pole was leading the race back then they used to have long green flag run races and we were on a good year and everybody had fallen off like we weren't that great in the beginning we tracked him down i remember like straight away and a half from back and just drove away and uh i remember calling jeff that next day and telling him and he's that's great you know how he is he's pretty monotone um and from that that year, we had one of the best years that I remember. 2010 was one of those years that it was uh, it was almost you couldn't write it better. We were behind behind, and I know if you're Dave Pembroke you could definitely write it better. Um, but yeah. we yeah. ended up winning that year, and that was kind of an odd year because Devil's Bowl had just gone asphalt, and they made a race at Devil's Bowl a Thunder Road point counting race. And the whole deal was everybody gets the same points if you go. But Dave Pembroke, if they would have counted that race as a point counting race, he would have won the championship because yeah, he won. And him and Mike Bruno had like the race of the career there. Um, but I remember that. That was, uh, that was quite a year. How did you get
1: along with Dave?
3: I got along with him great. Um, still, when you're racing against people at the time – like, now I'm here at John Donnie's house where, like, he's one of my better friends. When I raced against him, biggest asshole in the world. Um, Dave Pembroke, he wasn't an – he was just – he was a guy. Your your acquaintance at the track, and the, the more and more I get older, I find that I'm more friends with these racers. And I see the kids right now that, like – if you watch like the gravel kid for instance he comes to mind to me he kind of reminds me of myself when i was younger like you, you're acquaintance with him but you're probably not hanging out with him because you just you're still focused on all that not that you don't focus on yourself now but you're focused on a lot of other things at that time you have different aspirations now you find that you're all doing this together and you're all like especially john he's he's a lot like me we do a lot of other things besides racing like we'll go out and snowmobile and He's great with my kids. We've got hockey rinks here and we come up here a lot. So it's uh, you just fine. You form great friendships over the years with racers.
0: I'm curious to jump around a little bit when you go back now and now you're, you're not quite like Joey LaCare veteran length on the teeth yet or anything.
3: <laughs> I hope but, I'm not there yet. But, but
0: you're But you're up there and you're watching all these kids like a Marcel Gravel or a Brandon Lanfear who's jumping up this year, or the Lanfear girls, or Stephen Donahue, whose bedroom you're currently in. Are you <laughs> how do you view that? Are you like, oh, I'm looking and I'll try to give these kids some advice? Or are you like, Ooh, I'd love to beat this next generation now?
3: A little bold. The one thing I'll say, the people you just named off, this was something that I was different to those. Not not that it means anything, but they're all they've been they've been groomed their whole life. Whether they don't realize it, but all their family has raced. With my deal, my dad was in racing, but we didn't, like, they get to watch their actual dad race. Not that there might even be anything that helps them, but you don't realize when you're around the race car all the time and around the race shop and at the racetrack, you learn things. Um, So those are all second-generation drivers or third-generation drivers you're talking about. Um, One thing I'll say is there is some great talent coming up through. I think that Brandon Lafayette is going to do a fantastic job. I, I helped a little bit with a car that he ran at the milk bowl and he's got the right attitude. Unfortunately, he's not going to be the show like Dwayne. <laughs> uh, Brandon's a, he's a, he's actually a polished kid, smart kid, and he's got a really bright future ahead of him. He's going to do a great job. And the gravel kids the same way. They're They're all really good racers. They're coming up through. They're just, they're young and not that I'm old, but I'm just at a different, I'm in the different stage where I'm, I'm probably now uh, the middle maturity. Eric chase is probably at the top now, him and Joey, like they're just that, they're probably more towards the end of their careers.
1: So when, but you know, you've been in the late models for, I mean, we're looking at almost 15 years now. And if you think about that in those terms, Stephen Donahue is fresh out of diapers when you're at a late model. um and when his dad is racing late models and stuff so you know who when you when you were that age um who were you looking up to and 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 did anybody do you think anybody looked at you as you're looking at brandon lanfear right now
3: i don't know i don't know if the racer was the same like that back then and if they did they weren't going to come up to you and tell you that um i'm sure there might have been somebody who was like yeah he'll be okay when he's older um when I was that age, I looked up to, like I say, it was. I watched Ben Rowe when we go to races. I'd watch Ben Rowe, Jeff Taylor, even Dale Shaw. But I looked up to those guys because I used to watch them when they ran like the NEPSA tour. And then it was, there was a lot of different tours back then, Ralph Nason. And I just remember back then, Ben Rowe ran that zero zero car. And he was, he was really fast, but he made good choices in a race car. If you watched him, he, he wouldn't put the car in a bad situation. And at the end of the race, he was winning races. And if you watch people like that, you can sometimes learn a lot just by watching a race and looking at people's different characteristics and telling yourself, I don't want to be like that guy, or I do want to make that decision someday. And you mentor those type people. They don't even know you're doing it, but you are.
1: By 2012, uh, you've got your second Thunder Road championship, Um, but you are also known maybe whether you know this or not, people talk about you as a one track Jack, you know, you, you couldn't go anywhere and win 2013. That started to change.
3: Yep. Um, And and that's,
1: that's when you started uh, racing for Eric uh, on a more regular basis.
3: Yeah. He, he's the one that really helped me to be able to branch out. Um, We probably would have still been a one track Jack because that's really all we, we're very fortunate to be racing a late model, even at home. Uh, Eric has done a lot for my racing career. He uh, he's taken me to the next level. Like I I would not be able to race a super late model that we're in right now. I would I wouldn't be out on the road like that. And uh, he gave us he gives me a lot of opportunities and the equipment that it takes to go out and be
1: successful. But give credit where it's due. In thirteen, you came down to Devil's Ball. Um, there was the Vermont State Late Model. Uh, championship which was two with Thunder road to there and uh, and you won you know everything in sight at devil's Bowl, but you also won uh a race at well i don't know if it was 13 or 14 but uh you won a race in eric's car at beach ridge um you would won uh the fall brawl at uh grove tona and you started to kind of really you know spread your wings out a little bit what was what was what how that happen
3: I believe, honestly, it became my life. Not that it wasn't before, but it, when, when, so Eric now employs me, he employs me to work on race cars and, uh, it became my life. And my wife will tell you that not that it changed that much, but that's all I thought about. And when you, when it becomes your life and that's what you think about, you still have other things tearing you other direction, but it's always in the back of your head and it's become a passion that I love. Like it, racing has given me a life and that that there when it became my life that's all I thought about so you're you're going to get better if you put effort into a certain place and then you got to get starting to figure out balance because when it becomes your life then you start not doing a good job in other areas of your life so you gotta you gotta definitely find a balance and that's life in general
1: how how does Kristen raise those kids while you're on the road I mean was is she a race fan?
3: No, she uh she is from <laughs> Indiana.
1: Um
3: so she probably I don't know if she she goes to the races once in a while but like she'll go out to uh I remember this is a story she has the kids out at a restaurant and I'm not home I'm racing. And it was a local place in town and apparently I didn't have a fan in the restaurant. <laughs> she had to uh she had to listen to that person tell her how bad I would. She's like, you don't even know him. You know him as a race car driver. Um, and that that's tough for her sometimes because you're going to have people that dislike you and there's going to be people that like you, unfortunately. Um, and there is a fortunate thing there. but So she has to deal with that end of it and she deals with me being gone a lot. She is a saint of a wife and I'm very fortunate that she is such a good mom and Takes care of me. She's got four kids, not three. I'm the other kid. So,
0: and how does how does having the kids how did that change or alter the way you looked at your everyday focused in on racing?
3: Well, it's still a battle for me on a balance. Um, I I'd like to spend every moment trying to better my craft at the race shop, but now my kids are at that age where they're they're playing hockey and my daughter's horseback riding and in the summertime we uh we do go-karts with her and it's really just for like not just me but for family bonding like I could care less if my kids race ever but that's something that I know what to do and uh, we got a go-kart we go up to Thunder Road and we have a great time and Ava is it's funny because my oldest son started and he was more serious on the go-karts and he still wants to race but me being a bit selfish and knowing the time restraint, um, I don't have time to continue to try to keep everybody's racing going. So my daughter's next in line and we just had this go-kart that we're going to support Chris at the track on Tuesday nights. So she's next in line and she goes up there and she, she does a great job, but her mentality's so different. She could get out. She's more worried about the social and picking daniel lines out in the infield than worried about racing. So it's, uh, like I say, I could care less. It's great that they want to do it. And we're having fun doing it, but at least we're getting to do something as a family. Make you nervous? Yeah. Honestly, I get more nervous watching them. And the beauty of it is, and I one thing that I try to do so good that my dad did so good, even if they make a mistake, let them learn on their own. Don't go in and start <laughs> yelling at them and all that. Uh, we, we just make it fun. And, uh, you try to, you try to give them some pointers here and there, but Ava actually won a race last year and Jason, I I thought I was going to have heart attack on the sidelines there. Mind you, they're racing against four other kids, their were racing. And, uh, but it was, you, you find yourself getting nervous and that was pretty neat.
1: Let's switch back to you here. Um, and now Derek O'Donnell, <laughs> um, that had to piss you off that the kid came in and, and he mopped up. I mean, he never lost the championship, and you were the guy in second place every year.
3: Yeah, they they as a team were a great team. They outsmarted us, um, and he did a good job driving. Like anybody – and you you hear, oh, you, they say about me, you're a cheater. Um, it's one of those things I think that team – was very smart, and one thing I'll say, Derek is Derek's very to himself. If you ever talk to him, he's he's a, actually a really quiet person. Um, and I think all that stuff played into his benefit, and he did. He made good choices on the racetrack. He he, it, I don't. You can't take this away from him. And anybody that always says, "Oh, there was people that loved him, there was people hated him," just like me, and uh, the people that hated him. You can't take away the fact that he made good choices, knew how to get speed out of a car, and he kept his car in one piece every week. You can't He's a hell of a driver. Yeah. You have to you I don't care when they say everybody's cheating, even if you are cheating, everything else has to be right to be there. It's not you see a lot of guys that are running tenth on back, trust me, they're cheating way far worse than the guys that are in the front. And their cars are falling apart or their, their, their craft's not as good. So you just, I, I get, you kind of hear that amongst a lot of people. And I I think that's always usually an excuse, whether they don't like you. And even if you are, it's one of those things, everything has to be right to have the
1: success that he did. I I remember a race. um, I think it must've been a tour race that didn't count for points. And it might've even been the opener the one year that Derek showed up with this weird looking, the front end was way up in the air. And, you know, he had, you know, 15 degrees of camber in the left front and it looked like the thing was going to fall over. And he absolutely killed everybody that day until it broke, which, and, and, you know, I, uh, I had seen Derek obviously in the Tigers and doing, doing very well. And at that point he'd already won at least one championship in the late models, if not two, um, but that was the day that I was like, this kid's got it figured out.
3: So one thing I'll tell you, and doesn't really, it didn't come to mind till. and there's an exception, but you're naming off the guys that are, even the up-and-coming kids that are good, all those guys that you named off that are successful, whether it's Brandon Lanfear, Marcel Gravel, Stephen Donahue, Derek O'Donnell, myself, you notice they all work on their race cars. And when you work on your race car, it's a skill that you form. Uh, that the guy that doesn't, he simply is just not going to know it. And I believe that helps you as a race car driver, and it makes you make better decisions on the racetrack. Because if you have to replace that fender, um, that that takes time. And when you're working on it, you know that ah, I can't. I can't be uh, destroying that. Not and there is exception for other guys because I believe there are guys that don't work on their cars that do very well. But you just you name that off those drivers and you it's all a pattern. Plus, it's also it's not
0: as enjoyable even for Justin and I going around and you're interviewing Derek and at the same time he's posting pictures on Facebook topless with an eight pack and you're just like
1: <laughs> he's what absolutely the hell? jacked. <laughs> <laughs> We're all we're all doughy. <laughs> Man, bod right here. Yeah, uh, that kid is—he's is motivated, uh, and I think that's what—that's why people hate him. Um, you know, the, the fans—he made it very easy to hate him. Well, when you're a motivated
3: person like that, he does nothing but strives for success. Yeah, that's abnormal for a person, and you got to have all different types of people. And he is that person that is just a guy that nothing is better than success. Yep. That's all it is. And he'll do whatever it takes to get there. And that in ways I'm the same way. Um, and that's the com- the competitor coming out. in you. I,
1: I think that it was all, you know, in the approach and it's, Uh, anything that I say about Derek, please do not take the wrong way. I respect the hell out of that guy. Um, You know, he worked in the cup level for a reason, Um, you know, and and he won races and championships for a reason, but I think it was that focus. And like you said, he kept to himself. He was not friends with anybody really except the guys that he showed up with. Whereas you are the goofy guy. You're the hometown guy who, Hey, let's have a beer after let's go to Gusto's let's whatever. And, and I, I think that that played very well, and, and Thunder Road needed you too, at the same time.
3: Well, I can tell you, in my – maybe to him, obviously championships and winning races are important. But I'm telling you, for me, championships and winning races are important. But first off to me, you still got to have fun, and you got to enjoy the people you're around. And I do. I have a lot of fun with everybody in the pit area, and that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion of my view.
0: Now, when I say Milk Bowl, what does that mean for you?
3: Oh, I've kissed a lot of cows in my life.
1: Like that's a good thing. <laughs> when, when, well, when you when you hold a steering wheel in your hands for a living, that's that's a good thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Now, Milk Bowl, I've been really fortunate. We won three of them. And LaPearl told me I'm jinxed, just like him. And... We are, we haven't won one since, um, but that's a, uh, that's a really cool race. And I know, and I'm not picking on cup, but they tried copying it and they kind of hacked it up because they didn't invert the field and inverting the field is what makes all the magic. Because once you invert the field, the guy that is off the pace a bit, he's now leading it. I've, I've been in that position when you're off It's not fun, and I'm telling you, there's an art to get in. I'm not picking on this guy, but there was one year Steve Fisher struggled all summer in his late model, and he had an art down that it needs recognition. He'd get to the front, to the back, without even putting a tire mark on his car. And you know how hard that is to do? (laughs) That's an art form.
1: (laughs) You get that lab money in the second segment, though. What's that? He'd get that lap money in the second segment, though.
3: Yeah, at least for a half a lap. Well, yeah. <laughs> he struggled, and he's doing great now. It's good to see any growth in this past year. I follow kind of all the racing. He's doing really good. Um, that's good to see. And he's still racing. He's been racing a long time.
1: So when you <clears throat> and I know that you're a you're a fan uh, of all kinds of racing, um, and I know that you pay attention to the records and stuff, and when you look at the Milk Bowl program and you pick it up. You know, uh, you're at the racetrack and you thumb through that thing during a down moment, and you see your name in there, and you've got better numbers than Robbie Crouch and Dave Dion and the Dragons and all that. What does that, what does that do to your psyche? Uh,
3: well, obviously, it shows I've raced there a long time in a lot of races, um,
1: but it's uh, I'm proud. Yeah, but I mean, but there's there's Ricky Roberts has raced there a long time too, you know, yeah. and I'm not picking on Ricky Roberts, but he hasn't won three milk poles.
3: Now, uh, I've been, there's a lot of things that go through your head. So you're, I'm really fortunate. I have a great family and team behind me because without that, those wouldn't be in the record books. Um, Everything at a milk bowl, you got to have everything right, whether it's your luck, your skill, your car, your attitude, everything's got to be correct um, because it's such a hard race to win. And when you can be a part of that, and I was fortunate to be a part of it three times. Yeah, you're proud of that. That's that's an achievement right there. And uh, we still got the trophies in the shop. They're tarnishing every day, so it's uh, it's quite a quite a race to win.
1: In uh, 2015, I uh, it was you and Derek, and you came from five points back uh, to win it. And that was the race um, that really everybody since that time has copied your strategy or tried to copy your strategy when you guys saved your tires. I actually found this audio clip uh, a few days ago when we figured out that we're going to be doing a show with you. And it's uh, this is right after I want to, I want you to listen to this clip. It's, it's Tom Curley. Has it been uh, rewarding to, for you to see Nick come from unknown kid uh, to, I mean, he's Dave Dion popular right now.
2: He is. I always thought he went too quick and I used to tell him that. I said you get out of the streets too quick. He goes to the Tigers. I said, jumping out of the Tigers, that was way too quick. And he becomes an instant success with uh, late models. Then he becomes the king of Barry. I mean, they love him, and he's uh, races that way. Uh, his family's that way. Uh, I mean, it's it's that's the quintessential family team. The brother's a spotter. Father's a crew chief. Everything's right about it, and. Uh, Yep, they blame him because he works on cars all week. He's working on Eric's car most of the week, all yep. right? Uh, so yeah, don't blame him for following his passion. Uh, but it's uh, it's nice to have a Barry hometown, and that response by the crowd was as big as I've seen yeah, in years. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was a good day for him.
1: What does that do for
3: you? Goosebumps, Justin, goosebumps. Uh, Tom Curley, <laughs> he uh, – he was a guy you always had to look up to, whether you, you disliked him or liked him. I liked him. I thought he was a great person and a great promoter. Um, and I was cool at once. Man, I was cool. <laughs> at least he made it sound like I was cool. Um, yeah, that's uh, – that's I, I never heard that before that, and that's quite a privilege to hear that from Tom.
1: Are you comfortable as the King of Barry?
3: Well, I can tell you that that's a name. I'm definitely not the king of Barry. I can tell you that. Uh, It that's uh, that's pretty neat to even be acknowledged from people that at that time we must have we had a really really good race team and everything was going right. And uh, you not that not that everything's not going right now, but you can see how quickly. Tables can turn in racing when you don't get to race that as much.
0: Now, as we get closer to the tail end of talking to you, I got to ask, is it enjoyable or a pain in the butt when they say, hey, Kyle Bush is coming, set up a car for him at Thunder Road or whatever cup guy or NASCAR guy they're bringing in for Governor's
3: Cup comes by? It depends on the cup the guy coming in. I can tell you, Kyle Busch, he's a, he was actually in, in NASCAR, in my opinion. Uh, he's probably one of the more talented race car drivers in NASCAR. And uh, he wasn't a bad guy. He was there not He's – he's got a very different personality than Christopher Bell. Um, he was there to win. And he was not there to make friends. He was not there. And he was nice. Don't get me wrong. He wasn't a jerk. But he – He wasn't there to do anything but win, and then I got to meet Christopher Bell. Very different mentality. Christopher Bell was very grateful to be a part of the, even to come and see the place, and I'm probably going to get Chris Michaud in trouble, but so we unload the race car for Bell. He's like, why don't you take it out, because I've not been in one of these yet, and I want to see how it goes. I had my shorts and t-shirt. I'm like, I don't got my driver's suit here. I guess I'll get in. So I got in and I went out, did a couple laps. And Keith Fortier called me the next day because he works for Gibbs. He's like, are you dumb? And I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, Bell told me, like, you went out with your T-shirt and your shirt. And I said, I wasn't planning on wrecking. <laughs> <laughs> did
1: you have a helmet on?
3: Uh, yes, I did. I put on one of Bell's dirt helmets, I think. <laughs> did fit. <laughs>
1: working with well that it made me think um working with different people or racing against different people you are i mean you're really not around act and thunder road that much at all anymore you are now one of the main stars of the past tour um you know you probably would have won the championship last year if, if you hadn't uh i think you missed was it last year or the year before that you missed a race but you, you were i mean how how have you been accepted um in two different ways. One as an ACT guy racing in, in the past world and two, as a Vermonter uh, up against all the guys from New Hampshire and Maine.
3: Believe it or not. So when we ran the tour, I, I didn't, I didn't really know that many guys when we went to race pass. Um, I knew Ben Rowe and I knew Glenn Luce at the time when he was racing. Um, Eddie McDonald was kind of there. But I didn't know any of them. And I remember going to Thompson, the first race, Total failure. Like we had nothing but problems. Wrecked the race car, first race. It felt like the ACT tour all over again. We struggled. Oh, you're consistent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And we had wrecked the car. And at the time, uh, Brian Latouche was pitted next to us with Todd Stone. And uh, we came in and we started working on it. And one thing that still sticks in my mind of that whole weekend, the successful part of the weekend, Brian Latus acknowledged me. He said, "I know you you, you didn't have a great weekend. You wrecked your race car, but as a race crew chief, I'm proud of you. never gave up." And coming from Brian, Brian was he was a well liked, great guy through the community. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and yep. I really miss Brian. Um, but that day, that that was all I needed for the, the, my weekend, it was a small thing like that. It wasn't even success on the racetrack because we didn't have success on the racetrack. I can tell you that. Um, but that meant a lot. And then we just, it's like anything you get going and you get learning more and more about the cars and learning, meeting people. And all those main guys are all good guys. They're just like the people in Vermont. They're all real good people. They just can't pronounce their R's.
1: So, um, besides that, they're great people. (laughs) Is there any rivalry? Uh, I, I mean, and I'm, and I'm talking about back in the days when it was Mayberry and Curly, you know, slinging press releases at each other and, and, and pitting Roe, Roe, Clark, Clark against whoever the star of the day was, Gene Paul Seer, Patrick LaPearl, you know, saying our stars versus their stars. And, and now there's some crossover, especially with you, but Glenn Luce and Ben Roe and that stuff too.
3: I think they're fortunate right now. Um, I know know promoters always have rivalries, um, but right now I believe Chris and Tom are getting along. somewhat. I know that there's a Granite state series, um, but I think they all try to work with each other. Um, They, they definitely try to make, I I don't, I don't do a good job at reading as much as I should on the write-ups of the past stuff. And I, I know like we were fortunate. We had some real, real good success this past summer. But I don't read all the write ups as much as I should, um, and that's just unfortunately getting busy, just getting busy in life. Um, and I know that's insulting to you, Justin, because you write all the time. But- I haven't written in a couple
1: <laughs> of years. Don't worry about I, me. Yeah, see,
3: that shows <laughs> how much I've read.
1: There you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Nobody's called me in a couple of years or to do any writing, so well, that's go. that's why we're doing this. That's yeah, why there. Tom and I are doing this because we got bored.
3: You can see I'm right up on the times.
0: (laughs) And I just went to broadcasting because I don't like to write. So no worries there.
1: There you go.
3: Hey, what's wrong with that?
0: So as we hit the uh, stretch here, we like to do some quick hitting questions. Just kind of for fun before we let you go. And we're going to debut some new questions this week. We've done the same three for our first handful of guests. And uh, first question what is Nick Sweet's Guilty Pleasure TV show that you don't want people to know that you're recording and watching?
3: Heartland. We we My wife and I, it's a show about a family that lives on a ranch with horses. And uh, it's probably, if you saw it, you'd be like, are you kidding me? Are you a crier?
1: Do you cry? At the show? It's
3: one of those it's one of those tearfelt moments. Yeah. It's every episode you're like, <laughs> damn, I want to go buy a ranch and get some horses.
1: <laughs> um okay. Are you uh what do you eat on race day?
3: Whatever the one that sticks out to me, I love the, the clam chowder at White Mountain. Like that sets good for kerneling. Um <laughs> Yeah, whatever's at the racetrack that day.
1: <laughs> so you're you're not you're you don't you're not one of those pukers before every heat race and every feature
3: i've honestly never thrown up in a race car
1: that's, the other that, the that's other good
3: <laughs> maybe a bit different but whatever
1: wait a minute hold on you have you you've crapped your pants on a race car
3: no crapping oh maybe, i remember uh i tried to hold it at growth and that race that went forever under yellow and couldn't do it anymore it was just ah it's a oh, go. wow <laughs> I was in victory lane, so it made it all work. Okay. It. it didn't matter. And nobody knew until I told you that story.
1: Wait, you won the race?
3: Yeah, that was uh, the fall brawl that we won. <laughs> it was like Amazing. 600 laps of caution. I was like, there's no way I'm old. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, God, I love it.
0: Kind of to go with the first question, what's the embarrassing music that you have in the playlist that when people aren't around, you're just like, God, I have to listen to whatever. Miley Cyrus, whatever it may be.
3: 90s country, probably. When I'm in those moods and get in the shop, Joss, of course, has been coming back and helping us a little bit at the shop. He works for Thor and for Engfinger. And that great Engfinger, I guess, listens to the same music. He's like, oh, you're listening to that hay wagon music. (laughs) uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's not that embarrassing, I guess. I mean, that's sort Uh, of expected.
3: Yeah. Well, usually it's uh 90s rock alternative, but when people aren't around, throw out the old uh, George Strait and all that stuff, Alan Jackson.
1: I got one more. I got one more. What's the best race party you've been to that you can talk about?
3: Oh, I can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the best race party. Because
1: I've seen you at a few. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I'm telling you, my 21, that, that race right up there and. I'm gonna embarrass the girls, but I remember it was Sean Corbett's wife and Rachel, and they were pouring tequila down my throat. And there's nothing like being in the middle of two women. What, why not? All right, all right. It didn't get any better that night.
1: Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I like,
3: couldn't. Right. I remember it was near the Champlain Valley Fair because I remember I got a call to go there the next day. I was like, no, no, this is what to,
1: like I- to make an appearance.
3: Yeah, yeah to go to the Champlain Valley Fair and there was no way I was going there. Like I I remember I got home and I was living with my parents at the time and I laid right next to the toilet. My mom, she's like, what's wrong with you? I was like, Oh, I had some bad food. <laughs> like, she knew it wasn't bad food when it came up. It was like, she's like, it smells like pure alcohol in here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It happens. It does. Yeah. Growing up. Hopefully, there's no kids listening to this because I just I'm not giving anybody good information.
1: No, we don't have. We we look at the numbers. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of young people listening to the show right now. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're you're more you're the most modern guy that we've had on. So maybe the kids are going to be disappointed when they hear this. But. <laughs> all right, man. Well, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, what are you doing this year,
3: anyway? That's a good question. Uh, I know for a fact. I'm going to be helping Eric at Thunder Road. if he wants to do Thunder Road all year, I try to get him to branch out a little bit and go to White Mountain once in a while. Hopefully he'll maybe do a couple races there. Um, but it's hard for me right now. My dad with his job and with all the virus stuff, his job stipulates right now that he actually can't leave state. Um, so that really changes our outlook. Like I'd love to go to Hickory, but we can't right now. Um, Without him going, he is my tire guy and crew chief, and um, if the team's not together, we're we're not going to go with a man left behind here. We're going to go all together, and that's the only way I want to do it. No,
0: we didn't really bring it up. What does it mean for you to have this hobby that you can include your dad and your brother with
3: every week? It it really keeps us close because my brother, Dr. Phil, couldn't fix my brother and I's relationship half of the time. Um, so we even that's another topic, uh, for another conversation. But I'll give you one one time, my brother and I we were usually a comedy show on the radio, so he spots for me. And I'm the calm one, my brother's the one, I think it was like Marcel Gravel's dad or whatever, we're like in a race. And I just passed Marcel, and my brother's like he's smiling at me, and I'm like, is he smiling? Cause I just passed his son. Like, what's the? Pr-? He's like, I'm getting off the radio. I'll be right back. I'm gonna go throw him down the grandstands or something. I'm like, calm down. So he's
1: uh, this is under green.
3: He's he's pretty comical to listen to.
1: You know what though? The problem you grew a beard, and now I can't tell you two apart. I see exactly. pictures of you in Victory Lane. Well, but if you got a hat on in Victory Lane, I was like, what the hell is Nathan standing by the car for?
3: Well, hopefully I don't get his temper. <laughs> <laughs> more like my mom. He's more like my dad, but they're, uh, that's what—that's why it works. Uh, it, we And the beauty of it is we all get along in our own way and we all have our own corpse.
1: Does your dad still have to parent you two while you're at the track?
3: Yeah, usually he usually has to tell us to calm down a little bit on the radio sometimes. Sometimes all three of us get fighting. That's even more of a comical show on the radio. <laughs> Jared Blakely helps us. He's our young, call him the young stud. I'm living curiously through him right now. Um, but he's like, I just sit back and watch the show. Like, it's worth going for the entertainment of just listening to you guys get mad at each other. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of like the modern La Pearls. <laughs> We're wearing each other in English, not French.
1: God bless you. All right, man. Well, thanks for doing this, and uh, have a beer with John for us tonight. He's and, already uh, in bed, I'm
3: sure. I'm going to get out of this room. My wife's sitting out there with the kids. I heard him fighting earlier, so
2: yeah,
3: <laughs> we're going home after this, guaranteed.
1: All right. Make Stevens bed for him.
0: Once again, thanks to uh, Nick for giving us his time and – that was a good one, Justin. Not only was it very entertaining and some great funny stories, and you are laughing through a good portion of this interview, but <laughs> sorry, <laughs> some real nuanced answers and some, a few spots where it's like real like inside baseball. For yeah. He's talking about having to relearn
1: Thunder Road with a wall. You know, turn two is his speed turn. You know, and I didn't I guess I didn't say it in the when we were talking about that in the discussion, but the one race that I went to at Thunder Road last year, he wrecked, and guess where he wrecked coming off turn two. Slam that wall. Um so there's something to that there. And and you I don't know. You you think of uh it's still the same racetrack. It, they didn't change the racetrack. But they put that wall up, and it's it's a mind game, you know. And thanks to Stephen Donahue for loaning the studio space too. <laughs> That's just the craziest thing I've ever heard. Uh, uh, we
0: didn't mention that he, before we started. He was trying on Stephen's hats to see if there was one he, did. That he, he felt had a, comfortable he had a, in.
1: He had a bush hat,
0: <laughs> but the brim was a little too flat for yeah, his his legs. Thanks everybody once again for uh, tuning in. To Uncommon Deeds. hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, feel free to throw us a like. Give us a five-star review. Helps us with algorithms and what have yeah, you.
1: If you feel like it. Yeah, yeah, that'd
0: be great. Then also, get at us on the socials. Mm-hmm. Like us on Facebook at Uncommon Deeds.
1: Share those posts, too. Yeah. You guys have been amazing with sharing. That's awesome. Absolutely. Hey,
0: Twitter at Uncommon Deeds
1: uncommon deeds podcast on the Instagram. And that's starting to take off too. We've, we've gained a lot of Instagram followers lately. So that's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's been, and, and uh, speaking of images and and pictures, I, I, we did a shout out to uh, Alan Ward on the Facebook page, but um, all the graphics, not all the graphics, but a lot of the, the pictures of drivers and cars that are in our posts come from Alan Ward's uh, photo site, big L's photos, Smugmug.com. Check him out. He's got so many pictures from everywhere. Um, Thunder Road, Airborne, Oxford, all through New Hampshire, Mass, Connecticut, wherever, down at Daytona. It doesn't – all of all of the racetracks um, for like 40 years. So check him out.
0: And all of the fantastic – the posters with the graphics and the cars perfectly – put on there that is all done by Justin St. Louis and he does a fantastic job. I got,
1: I got something right. I couldn't get my damn microphone right for a month and a half, but I do the graphics on right. Yeah, I guess. Well, you do all the mixing Tom, so it's all, this is all you. Let's,
0: let's point that out after you've had a month and a half of bad microphone.
1: Well, (laughs) it could have sounded a lot worse if it wasn't for you.
0: Well, that wraps things up for this week's episode (laughs) of uncommon deeds as we, uh, we're going to turn on the record button off and keep patting each other on the back. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in next week. And remember, Mondays, we always let you know who the guest is going to be for the week. Wednesdays, we try to put out a little teaser video for you, give you a little taste of what the interview might be like. And then uh, we release it Friday at midnight.
1: And I, tr- I try every week to stay up, and I never make it. But I'm going to try this week, too.
0: And I tell him we've already lived through it once. I usually have listened to it once or twice since then while editing. And I tell him, you can wait till the morning. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And it turns out I always do.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Uncommon Deeds. We will catch you in our next episode.